0: Aloha Maui Nui. hey this is Josh Porter and Jason Burkhardt welcome to the solar coaster this is episode 83 uh we're talking yeah we're talking about some some really cool stuff here with uh, well emergency management of our community right where there was a forum that happened uh, recently uh, here in Maui but I got a chance to Hello. go to.
1: That was nice. That was actually on Thursday, so it was a little too tight to actually roll it into last week's show, but uh, we've definitely got the highlights for you today. It was a long, long meeting, wasn't it?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think it was something in the about maybe two hours uh, of content. Or 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 then...
1: Yeah, you certainly sent me more than two hours of recorded audio, so yes. <laughs>
0: well, I just turned on that mic and let it kind of roll. And uh, we got to get to, I mean, a lot of amazing people there. You know, you had some professors from UH. You had the uh, utility executives. You had the county um, uh, renewable energy commissioner, Rydell, and Sharon Suzuki, and then a whole bunch of other p- great folks there that had a lot of knowledge about this and about how to deal with emergencies, you know, uh, things that, you know, from tsunamis to uh, – to um, hurricanes, to everything. And then, of course, you know, you know, renewable energy certainly played a role in the conversation there.
1: Yeah. And, and it's, it's generally I mean, the, the, the whole theme of it is is that we are living in, a, in kind of a different world. We need to plan differently. Um, these are the reasons why. And uh, we're going to hear all about that.
0: All right, let's do it. Let's jump into our uh, housekeeping, Jay, and then we'll roll over to our news and events and talk all about the great stuff that's going on in the world today, huh? Okay. So, hey, folks, we are the Solar Coaster Renewable Energy Theme Talk Show right here in lovely Maui County. We can be found Fridays at one o five PM at Koi eleven ten AM. We have some FM stations: 96.7 FM Central Maui, 96.5 six five FM West Side, 98.7 FM Country uh, Up Country. We got a great
1: website www.solar-coaster.com uh, you can listen live uh, stream uh, from anywhere in the world, depending on where you are, uh, so long as you have internet access. Uh, You can also check out our new images. I'm constantly being harassed to add more images, more images, more images. (laughs) So there's a (laughs) lot more pictures, good pictures going up. Uh, We have a bit of issue with the blog tab right now because Facebook changed something on us, but that's coming back. So you'll be able to see what we're talking about day to day. Uh, And then you can go down to the bottom of the page, the main page there, and there is a sign up for the mailing list and or to send us a question Pardon, to get us uh, to get you on air. Uh, so that's www.solar-coaster.com. We're also available on a whole bunch of podcast networks, iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Type in Solar Coaster and look for our little yellow SC logo.
0: All righty. Hey, you know, Jay, I checked out that uh, uh, iTunes uh, earlier today and I noticed that about like 50 of our 80 shows are there. So the first few of them aren't there. So we'll have to put those up too. Um, sponsors, we get got some amazing sponsors: Maui Solar Project, Tabuchi, Electric America, Sonin pika energy and sundrum solar uh hey folks this is a call in line uh show here we do um take uh, calls 808-242-7800 is the call in line we are having a pre-recorded session here on this particular show so uh in the future if you'd like to call in please do and uh in this case uh you can send those questions over to our email or mail, our website yeah yep absolutely okay let's do news and events jay
1: okay right away uh the swiss solar expert (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> backs ideas to save the planet. Well, that makes sense. Um, actually, this is an interesting guy. Bertrand Piccard uh, was the Swiss pilot who went around the world in a solar-powered airplane. Uh, he's actually invested a heavy, a heavy amount into his company, Solar Impulse, uh, which is designing solar-powered aircraft. Uh, so he was there at the um, COP24 summit on climate change um, this past Tuesday, which was the December 4th, um, and, and was there just trying to get people to work on solutions. I mean, it's, it's, it, there's a lot of people talking about, well, this is the problem, and that's the problem, and that's the problem. He, he stood up, and said, I'm fed up hearing always about these problems that depress everybody. I want to bring <laughs> solutions. That's uh, <laughs> so well, fantastic. he's fantastic. The, he, the, 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 proper, the proper response in the situation, I think. <laughs> sure, sure. And he's talking about a uh, his his
0: foundation is offering some funding, right? So they're selecting yes, a thousand yes. business ideas, it says here, for both profitable and good for the environment um, concepts. So I wonder what kind of funding is going to come along with that. There's actually a lot of funds kind of poking out nowadays to uh, you know in, in, encourage companies or innovators or CEOs or startups to move you know towards this type to move technology towards these types of solutions. I'm seeing this. More more and more across the world yeah, at the moment
1: and, and i think it's, it's one of those things that in, in in popular culture you can't really argue it I mean, you can't argue against well let's let's you can't well let's let's dirty up the planet let's destroy everything and you know, nobody nobody will take that as their as a good position um but <laughs> but the person that does come up with in in D lab the next really big thing like the next super battery breakthrough they're gonna make a lot of money
0: right <laughs> Yeah, it's where the opportunity is right now. It's uh, exciting stuff. Um, Okay. Interesting
1: interesting thing. He also also dropped a bomb there. um, The airplane uh, industry, commercial flying, uh, whether for cargo or for passenger flight, um, is is one of the main areas where we still really don't have a good solution. We need that energy density of fossil fuels. Uh, But he says his solar impulse... um, company is working on something in battery-powered passenger planes will be technically and commercially viable by 2026. Let's see if that pans out. That's because pretty That's pretty early. That's that's pretty, that's pretty sick that's really significant and I'd love to see more on that maybe we can get them on the show
0: absolutely yeah it sounds good it kind of it kind of speaks to the the notion of what you know this rank order of things that'll be a, of, of you know major issues that'll be addressed you know you, you're dealing with your electricity generation on land you're dealing with your transportation you're dealing with your maybe maritime transportation but 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 flying is kind of on the tail end of that right because of the energy density issue so yeah okay yeah. okay so what's going on in Australia I like this one here we got some uh,
1: compatriots in Australia that uh, generally- <laughs> <laughs> right. Sure, sure, <laughs> sure. Um, Too many Australians' home, homes now have solar. But where's, where does that put them? It's, it's, it's um, one-fifth of all homes. So one in five houses now have solar on them. Uh, this is co- basically due to a couple things. Like solar has never been cheaper. Uh, they don't have the tariffs that we currently are paying. Um, but at the same time, they have super high um, electricity rates across the entire nation. And so solar is super attractive to people and there was a there's a a tag on here six panels per minute are being installed Six panels per minute <laughs> on, the na- in, in the residential the space, right?
0: And they, the they actually, space, right. they, they, they extracted the utility space. So if you include the utility space, you're actually looking like a 10 to 20 or something like that. So it's, yeah. uh, you know, pretty, pretty amazing. They they also, you know, it's, uh, I guess there's about 10 million people out there because it says one fifth and 2 million homes mm-hmm. have it, right? Yep. 10 million homes. So um, that's, a, you know, significantly larger than Hawaii, but we're at a similar percentage it looks like, right? So um, they just have, uh, we're, we're kind of in a similar kind of place. Hawaii, I should say, not, not necessarily the U.S. in terms of the
1: overall amount of people that have it, you know, in a community. Right. Right. And that's much more comparative as well as, as, as for the electricity rates where rooftop systems, um, was it 30, 31 cents? Oh, their price. So it's, it's, yeah. It, it, yeah. Once, once you, once you do the, do the math to do the currency conversion, it's actually really, really similar to, uh, to what we pay in the islands. Right. And they, they're also kind of starting to tow the waters with, um, you know,
0: electric vehicles and oversizing systems for batteries. So it's beyond the kind of NEM world at this stage, right? It's kind of squarely right, into the right. world that we're living in over here where people are saying, okay, well, it's not just my uh, historical electric rates going to size my system. We want to be thinking about adding some batteries, working with uh, that to, to charge my solar or rather my electric vehicle. So there, um, that's kind of what's going on in Australia. I mean, it feels like a kind of a yeah. brother in the whole race over here. You know what I mean? It's a
1: Hawaii. Yeah. And, that, and that's the reason why. I mean, I've, I've actually been asked a number of times, like, why do we do focus? Like so much on China and so much on Australia and so much on India. Hmm. Um, well, these are these are the folks that are that are doing things in parallel with what we're doing and it's a great example just to keep an eye and see what kind of problems they're having what kind of solutions they come up with if things work then we could we can model that you know it's it's it makes a lot of sense not to just focus on our own little bubble
0: it's fascinating and they have different ways that they motivate people to i mean a lot of the times there are similar structures you know in terms of Mm -hmm. utility rates and uh, different utility programs and different you know um, uh, types of tax credits or things of that nature there's different ways to motivate solar over the years but now that we're getting into this post World, uh, there there's a whole new kind of game that's going on out there. So we can learn from each other. I've actually had friends yep. that are in the Australian solar business come over to Hawaii and talk to me about their experience. It's fascinating. It really is. Um, yep. okay, 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 so what's this? Uh, let's let's jump over to China and get a sense for what's happening there. Um, now, yeah. th- now, that, now that
1: I just said that, sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, Well, okay, so Beijing, China has been um, rolling out a ton of solar. If you haven't been paying attention to the shows recently, China comes up an awful lot. Uh, They had an issue where they couldn't pay the... um incentives so they kind of cut those programs off but it, they've already had so much um installed capacity go and they're actually having issues with curtailment now, curtailment is when you have generation going on like the sun's hitting the panels but the electricity doesn't the potential for electricity doesn't have any place to go so it just gets either blown off or not captured in the first place uh which which is unfortunate because you can't you, you don't do anything with it you could have had power but you didn't use it um so they're they're curtailment has gone up and up and up. It was actually hanging around 5% nationally and then it went up um, quite a bit. Energy losses can be as high as 30% in the north and northwest because they have a lot of solar and wind going installed because of low land value. But it's such a distance from the the western uh, urban areas that they're having trouble transmitting it across the nation. Yeah,
0: you know, I didn't. I wasn't really clear on this in terms of how they were going to achieve this less than five percent curtailment feature. They talk about it in the last. I paragraph. don't think they. I don't think they know. <laughs> well,
1: yeah, the, 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 this
0: sentence here kind of kind of starts to hint that as far as central planning is concerned, <laughs> right? Beijing yeah, reportedly yeah, wants yeah. new technology <laughs> to improve grid peak shaving ability. Okay, and for the electric, electricity trading market to develop more quickly. Uh, okay, uh, yeah, so, and, it's,
1: and uh, yeah, and they and they say that the the National Development and Reform Commission will soon launch a three year plan. So they haven't even launched the plan yet, and it's three years in span. So they don't. They haven't actually started. They're just saying they want to.
0: Right. And they're saying in addition to the trail geographical shift in focus for future project development, does that mean where they build systems?
1: Is that what
0: is that what that yes. means?
1: Okay. I don't know <laughs> what they're talking about. Trail geographical no, they, shift. <laughs> Very cool. Well, you gotta you gotta understand that I mean it's it's like it's it's east east to west China is huge, right? Right. And so there's actually sun going on in the eastern section of the nation. Um, and I, I flipped that. It's actually the east where there's a lot of urban. Um, but there's, so there's sun going on in the eastern section, but there's no sun in the west yet to generate. So they're pulling from I see. Traditional, I see. Ah. traditional generators while that, as everybody wakes up there, gets their coffee and so, goes to work, you know, <laughs> as, as, all those, as all those <laughs> <tens gonna> <laughs> and factories spool up. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. So they're going to step yeah, back
0: and say, side. hey, let's look at our whole country and we have solar there and we don't have solar there. Let's put it where we don't have it.
1: <laughs> right. Right, right. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> Even though it might be a little more expensive. I gotcha.
0: Very Wow, that's fascinating. Okay, so looking
1: at the whole picture there.
0: Actually, I mean, the you know, U.S. is doing similar things. Was it last week or the week before? They talked about a national grid and about yep, how exactly. Right, so the people yep, are, system,
1: Why don't we have a national
0: grid? Right, so we're thinking on these kind of greater and greater levels uh, to understand how it all can interact at a, at a nation level, right? Well, that's That's something. Yeah, that's macro special. level. Macro, there you go. All right. So that is our world section. How about uh, the United States? What's going on here? we we going to start
1: out how about with how we go? How about we go bit of a little bit gives a gives final <laughs> OK of a little bit of a little new construction. So like our of like little bit of a little bit of a little bit of is little bit of a is PV, of a little bit of a little bit God, that's amazing because I mean, if you just think
0: about that, there's so many people in homes in California, it's and the vote was
1: unanimous. Yeah, and to think
0: that literally every home that goes in, this is where the Tesla power, you know, the Tesla roof could become really meaningful, right? In ha- new houses, because if they could yep. do it in a way that was, you know, they could deliver it and make it effective, and it's working, then um, I could see it could, it could become a no-brainer in for uh, for new houses. It, but uh, you know, at this stage of the game, we don't know.
1: You got to think of total cost of ownership when you're when you're doing this. They, they estimate that it's going to be at about ten thousand dollars, and you could probably attest to that um, to the upfront cost of the home because mm-hmm. it's, it's they need to be able you need to put. These systems in, however, over the course of like a thirty-year mortgage, uh, you will save nineteen thousand. So it's actually a net benefit over your entire mortgage. (laughs) Yeah, that's interesting on the
0: finance side of things. I wonder what the sizing requirements are too, because I know they're not going to allow you just to roll up there and check one panel up for the for the requirements, right? To check the box. Yeah, no. So if it's like I don't. um, don't,
1: don't, it's not clear here. I'm sure it's in the documentation, but I right. haven't read. Let we'll take a it. peek at that.
0: Okay, okay. So which one you're is? Up. Uh, I'm up. Oh, geez. Which one is next, Jay? <laughs> He's gonna check me out here. Solar and storage groups for call for dynamic pricing electricity. That one for California.
1: Oh, I knew you're. I knew you're gonna pull this up. Okay, so we're still in California. <laughs> Stay in um, So yeah, dy- dynamic pricing. Now, dynamic pricing is is basically your your rate schedule. Um, if you uh, pull during peak times, which is like in the evening, like four to, to, to nine uh, p.m. It's going to cost you more because uh, they're, they're not getting cheap power from as from solar and there's not as much wind <clears throat> depending on where you are. So you, you're, you're going to pay more in, the, in, in that well, time kind of time frame. But if you try to pull at 3 a.m. when everybody's asleep and no one's running the air conditioning anymore because they've already chilled their houses. Um, you're going to pay a whole lot less, and so they want to. Um, in the, the petition from, um, who was it? Uh, do, I don't remember who the petition was submitted from. to California but, uh, regulators. Yeah, yeah, it was submitted to. Yeah, it was uh, submitted to the California PUC um, by California Storage and uh, Solar Association. Um, was uh, asking that they would establish a standardized dynamic rate schedule. Um, pointing at Oklahoma saying that there's there's they have a nice schedule where it, it's five cents ranges from five cents to 41 cents depending on where you are that that sign sounds pretty steep but if you have a home battery or if you have your own solar and can leverage that type of stuff you can actually save a lot of money and that's that's what this whole conversation was all about is that if you have a battery you pull at that three three o'clock in the morning time frame mm-hmm. when it's not um not very expensive or right in the middle of the day like the 11, 11 o'clock to to two o'clock kind of time frame in the afternoon where solar is just booming, you will charge your batteries then and then you live off that energy through the day and you through the the, the evening and you don't need to pull when uh, the, the utility has a hard time servicing it.
0: Yeah, I think that uh, right here, there was what we're describing is like going from time of use rate structures to something that's actually dynamic that changes is what my impression was here. Mm -hmm. So like, for example, and they're talking about hourly or even sub hourly changes. And so in order for that to work, you need to have some kind of smart system to take advantage of that. Right. And they they talk about, for example, like a a smart thermostat that could be tapped into that. And then, of course, when we're Mm -hmm. some of our sponsors and and friends in this industry, we know they're doing things uh, with, for example, Sonin and other companies where they're able to to, uh, kind of monitor this and possibly interact with it in a way where it could
1: save you money. So
0: super cool stuff. Right. I guess and,
1: early early level for that. You know to see if these things start yeah, to go it's, through. Yeah, it's, it's a little it's a little difficult to say because um, when when you're talking about dynamic rates, it's basically like when if a cloud comes by and solar disappears, the utility can immediately say, well, you know what, We're, it's it's going to be more expensive right now, and shut down your thermostat. Gotcha. Which may or may not which may or may not work with your particular lifestyle. <laughs>
0: Hey uh, Jay, too. what, there's a boatload of great uh, content that we edited. You know, as before we got into the show today. But I think we should jump over pretty much squarely into Hawaii. we only got a few minutes left before we get into our yep. actual uh, recorded section. So yeah, just a right couple of things right. that's going on in our area here, moving away from the from the U.S. into Hawaii. We do have um, uh, Big Island permits going down by about 45%. I was talking to Marco Manglesdorf uh, literally yesterday. Uh, looks like there's some movement over there. Not sure exactly why, but uh, we do have a list and some transparency on who's making solar work out there at the moment. And it's very interesting to look at that. So that's available online if you want to check it out. In Oahu, it's up about 4%. Did not get a read on Maui. Uh, one of the cool things, though, that we are going to jump into for Maui here is um, this uh, this really amazing uh, activity, the summit. That, uh, was, it's actually in the Maui News if you want to read about this. Uh, the uh, The article is titled, We Have No Choice, uh, Climate Expert State Has to Reach for Renewable Energy Goals. So this was, um, what did you say, Jay? Was it last Thursday? I was there, but I can't remember the time. Uh, but basically. Yep. basically. Basically over in the Cameron Center in Wailuku, and what a great – um, a collection of speakers, uh, from Chris Reynolds at Maui Electric, to Sharon Suzuki, to Alexander DeRoad, uh, former director of SLIM, and he's got a bunch of other cool projects going on. Also Fred Rydell from the county, and uh, this, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of really uh, uh, smart, smart folks, and they're talking about, you know, also some people from uh, Emergency Management, Pacific Disaster Research Center, as well as, I think it's Maui Emergency Management Organization, and how they, so all these wonderful kind of, um, you know, people that are in positions of authority to to help us kind of navigate uh, natural disasters, but not just kind of you know random events. But what's happening? How is it happening? Over what are the trends? And then what can we do about it? And you know how do, how do we take care of ourselves during these, this process? Of course, solar and storage came up uh, frequently, and uh, we certainly are going to hear uh, all about that now. So what we're going to do is head over into our uh, commercial break. We're going to um, uh, get our sponsors to, to say their piece, and then we'll come right back into that forum, and we will be back to wrap the show towards the tail end. Okay. Aloha and welcome to Maui Solar Project. It is easy to feel rejuvenated just stepping outside on a magnificent Hawaiian day. Maui Solar Project is here to help harness that energy you feel in your body and use it to power your homes and businesses. As Laura tells us, Maui harnessed the sun so as to slow its path across the sky. Join Maui Solar Project as we harness the sun's energy and slow Hawaii's dependence on fossil fuels. Call Maui Solar Project at 269-2352. MauiSolarProject.org Tabuchi Electric, a leading worldwide inverter manufacturer, presents the second generation of the Eco Intelligent Battery System, the IBIS. Tabuchi's grid friendly system includes a high efficiency inverter, stackable batteries, and integration with Jelly software for the most adaptable battery storage system on the market. The system is optimized for energy management and cost performance. Maximize your solar investment with Tabuchi's Electric Eco Intelligent Battery System.
1: The Sonnen Battery Eco is an energy storage solution that utilizes intelligent energy management software. The system is available in a variety of storage capacities and allows for expansion. Sonnen Battery Eco allows you to save money by harvesting energy from your solar PV system and using that stored energy when rates are more expensive. Sonnen Battery Eco is specifically designed to provide you and your family peace of mind in the event of power outage. Our unique power detection system will sense outages in real time and automatically switch over to battery power. See Sonnen Battery Eco at sonen-battery.com.
0: MIT founded Pika Energy, makers of the Pika Energy Island, a smart energy management system that uses solar panels, lithium batteries, and intelligence to manage your energy and keep you powered even during outages. With a clean, intelligent alternative to grid power, you're in control of your energy future. Pika's Energy Island lets you manage electrical costs with HECO-ready self-supply functions. Pico's largest battery, the Harbor Plus, offers 16 kilowatt hours of stored energy and can power loads of up to 10 kilowatts. And if you need more capacity, just add a second or even third Harbor Smart battery to the same system for a maximum of 48 kilowatt hours of usable storage. Pika Energy. Own your power. To learn more, visit pica-energy.com.
1: All right.
0: Thank you, sponsors, for keeping us on air. Uh, We're going to jump right into this great forum uh, and uh, learn all about, uh, you know, emergency management and what's going on here in Maui County and ways to approach this.
2: Good evening everyone. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Sharon Suzuki, president of Maui Electric Company, our community forum on energy resilience. We've been serving Maui County since 1921 and we've taken our responsibility for providing electrical service reliably to everyone very seriously as we transformed from a agricultural community to where we are now um, reaching towards a goal of 100% renewable energy by 2045. But one thing, you know, we, we take our commitment seriously, and as we've seen recently with severe weather and storms affecting different areas, including our county, it reminds us of the possible impacts of climate change on our island communities. And energy reaches every sector of this community and all of the residents who live here. So we thought that hosting a forum on this topic would be a great idea. As an island community you know and we know that to get to 100% we can't do it alone. Government officials, private and public sectors to make sure that everyone's needs are met. So tonight um, in conjunction with high performance energy resilient communities also known as Hypercom we wanted to put on this forum. I'm happy to now introduce the founder and lead researcher of the Coalition Hypercom, Alex DeRoad, who will offer some comments and will also be on our panel this evening.
3: Thank you, Sharon. Uh, So for uh, my opening remarks, I I wanted to give you a whirlwind tour of what is energy resilience and what is hazard mitigation, and I'm really just going to give a a very brief high-level overview. So the best type of disaster we can ask ourselves would be the one that never happened. How do we avoid those disasters from happening? One key approach is prevention and mitigation, right? Not focusing only on response, how do we respond to a disaster event, but how do we prevent and mitigate the impacts of those? So one way to see that is your risk when faced with a natural disaster could be expressed as the hazard itself, times the vulnerability that we have in the face of that disaster, divided by the coping capacity of our community to cope with that disaster. What we're doing in these processes is trying to first identify the hazards, assess the vulnerabilities, and then plan and implement resiliency measures. And it's very difficult to control hazards, right? We can't block hurricanes from running into our island. But what can we do to reduce the impact that that hurricane could have? Right? much easier to control where we live, how we plan, how we build. So some, just some key words related to community resilience is anticipating risk, limiting impact, bounce back rapidly in, in the post-disaster scenario, and again, requires proactive mitigation and planning. Said otherwise, we want to prepare, we want to respond and recover from natural disasters. A, key, a critical part of that is how do we restore essential services or lifelines? How do we get our citizens back to work? How do we reopen schools and businesses quickly and safely? Again, that comes down, a lot comes down to pre-disaster planning and mitigation. It's kind of two different ways of uh, thinking about resilience. You could think of it as how do we adapt to adversity, right? So we have an impact, something that happens to our community, how do we change the way we do things uh, as a result of that versus how do we resist it, right? Resist the change from occurring. And both of those have their pros and cons, and we kind of need to use both of those approaches to optimize how we're addressing hazards and, and uh, disasters. This is a study from the National Institute of Building Sciences and results showing that when uh, pre-disaster mitigation efforts are funded either by the federal government or by looking at building above standard building code, we see a return of benefit cost ratio of, for every dollar invested, $6 in benefit in, in federal from federal funding awarded, for every dollar invested, in benefit from building above just minimum code uh, requirements. Some ways we can increase the resiliency of our energy systems here in our community. There's a a plethora of technologies, of different strategies, but these are some of the things that are being explored by our community, by, by our utility, by independent power producers, and these are some of the solutions that are going to come together to help us become more resilient. So resilient power, what do we mean by that? It's power that's continuous, reliable, even when the grid is down. It's clean, renewable, and it has an ability to provide community benefits year round. So not just during disaster events, but also when we're not facing a disaster. Again, coming back to this idea of supporting critical community lifelines, but also providing additional benefits to the community. So some of those critical lifelines that we're familiar with, but how energy interconnects with all of those would be telecommunications, transportation, water, all these other areas have a nexus with energy and rely on energy to function. Another part of this resiliency is, is community and thinking beyond just our local community, but being part of a larger community and network that you can rely on in times of need. We have an example of that uh, just recently here where the through the Western Regional Mutual Assistance Group, we have PICO, Miko, and HELCO crews going out to help Butte County with their uh, fire disaster recovery. All right, so it's mutual. When we have disasters here or we need help, they can come and help our community.
4: Next speaker is, and we're so honored to have him join us because he's quite in demand. But he is the professor of University of Hawaii at Manoa and vice chair of the Honolulu Climate Change Commission. Um, Not only is he a renowned and foremost researcher and speaker here in Hawaii and um, elsewhere, he's published over 100 peer-reviewed articles as well as three textbooks, focusing um, heavily on understanding the impacts of sea level rise on island shorelines, something critical to Hawaii. So please welcome Dr. Chip Fletcher. Thank
5: you everybody. I uh, was asked to set the background with regard to climate change. We are emitting greenhouse gases at rates that are uh, every year rising to new records. Uh, This year, the emission of greenhouse gases has set a new record for 2018. The year is not done yet. In 2017, we saw a one and a half to two percent rise in greenhouse gas emissions globally. After 2014, 15, and 16, three years during which global greenhouse gas emissions had stabilized. For decades leading up to that, we had one year after another of greenhouse gas emissions increasing, They stabilized in 2014, 15, and 16, and we were all extremely hopeful that we were about to bend the curve and decrease our global greenhouse gas emissions, Uh, but unfortunately they are uh, actually ticking up now. Uh, So here are emissions from prior to the Uh, Year 1000, this is taken from ice core data. The major greenhouse gases are carbon dioxide, methane, and nitrous oxide. Uh, CO2 is especially dangerous because once it's in the atmosphere, as much as 50% of it can stay there for centuries and even over a thousand years. Our greenhouse gases come from various sectors of uh, human activity, agriculture, commercial and residential energy manufacturing and industry, the transportation sector, and electricity. So it's in every one of these that we need to make changes in order to decrease our greenhouse gas emissions. And as CO2 has risen, the yellow line from the end of the 19th century, we also see the rise of temperature in red. And global average temperature is now 1 degree C or 1.8 degrees Fahrenheit, uh, warmer than the natural temperature would be. That may not seem like a lot, but if we reach two and three degrees C, we are approaching six degrees Fahrenheit warming. How do you feel when you have a a fever of six degrees? Uh, You feel bad if it continues for several days, you end up going to the hospital. If you maintain that fever for two weeks, you're actually in a life-threatening situation. So uh, it's the core temperature of the atmosphere that matters. The temperature on our skin goes up and down 10, 20 degrees during the day. Uh, if we're exposed to sunlight and exposed to shadow. It's the core temperature that matters. And the core temperature of our climate system is the air temperature of the atmosphere. So as this rises, we see tremendous changes uh, taking place. We are already experiencing severe impacts from climate change. Uh, wildfire season is almost a third of a year longer, and we are burning six times more acres since the 1970s. One third of all humans are exposed to life-threatening heat 20 days per year. And despite all of the hazards that you track, I noticed that heat waves are not in there. The same is uh, the case with the city and county of Honolulu. Every county in Hawaii, and in fact, most of the states in the US are not identifying heat waves uh, as in extreme weather events. And so we are going into a time of heat waves uh, completely unprepared. Rice, wheat, soy, and maize, the four staples of our food system globally, have 17% less protein, zinc, vitamin B complex, and iron because plants grown in a higher CO2 atmosphere put more energy into sugars, into carbohydrates, and less into the nutrients that we need and that we eat our plants for. By 2050, this will lead to an additional 300 million people with malnourishment and additional 1.4 billion women and children likely to have an iron deficiency. In 10 years, global water needs will exceed the sustainable supply by 40%, and today almost 1% of all humanity are displaced from their homes. This is largely in North Africa, uh, in the Middle East, and we see it in Central America, and we also see it in uh, Southeast Asia. Basically, the region around the tropics is beginning to experience intense drought, and this leads to food and water shortages, which can lead to violent conflict, which leads to the displacement of people from their homelands. This is a major problem that we are now beginning to see. I don't know if you saw the news last week, but we are tear gassing asylum seekers on our Mexican border. This used to be the stuff uh, in Greece and Italy as uh, Syrians tried to get into the EU. Now it's happening uh, in North America. Weather disasters have doubled in two decades, and extreme rainfall has increased 12% around the world. This is Greenland. The uh, gravity field of Greenland is measured every 10 days by a satellite, and as it changes, it reflects the loss of ice. And here we have a 15-year record of declining ice on Greenland. This is Antarctica. The entire ice field is in a state of decline. Most of the melting is taking place in West Antarctica, but we are looking at the loss of these two major uh, systems of ice, as well as most of the mountain glaciers of the world. And here is the problem, carbon dioxide. So as I described, we have the rise of carbon dioxide in billions of tons of CO2 per year since the year 2000. We had a temporary plateau, then we ticked up in 2017, and now it looks like we're going to tick up again in 2018. The International Energy Agency last week issued its 2018 outlook. Energy demand is set to grow by over 25% by 2040. More than 70% of energy investments will be government-driven. Renewables have become the technology of choice by the year 2040, and they rise to over 40% of energy generation from today's 25%. But oil consumption grows through the rising demand for petrochemicals, trucking, and aviation, and hence CO2 emissions continue to increase all the way to mid-century. So what's happening is China and India want to enter the middle class. They are demanding more energy, and that demand for new energy is not being met rapidly enough by the deployment of renewables. Instead, they are relying on our uh, traditional fossil fuel network. And this came out yesterday. Uh, It turns out that to stop warming at two degrees C, the the world must triple its efforts at cutting greenhouse gas emissions. To stop at 1.5 degrees C, uh, it must quintuple its efforts at decreasing greenhouse gas emissions. If we want to stop at one and a half degrees C, uh, this is the year 2020. We have to bend the curve, uh, but instead it looks like the projections are going this way for carbon dioxide emissions. And even, even if we were, every single scenario requires negative emissions. Negative emissions are where we, we, we pull CO2 out of the air. So it's not enough to just cut. Uh, we need to actually remove CO2. And there is what's known as the Global Carbon Law. If we cut our emissions by 50% per decade, and then the following decade, another 50, and another 50 the following decade, by mid-century, mid-century, we will be essentially uh, decarbonized. And the great thing about this law is that it scales up from every single person in this room. If you cut your carbon footprint by 50% in the next 10 years, your family, your community, the island, the state, the nation, all of this adds up. If the global community can do this, then Uh, we have a chance at stopping this warming. And that's why every single person, every single household must be a player in this. We can't all, none of us can afford to duck out because, quote, we don't matter. Unfortunately, there is this terrible, beautiful, linear relationship between world GDP and atmospheric carbon dioxide. And that relationship is what's going to be driving us into the future Pricewaterhouse consultants and a whole lot of other global economists are predicting continuing rise in GDP, these folks, by 130% by mid-century. We have to break that relationship. And so, these are all the different computer model scenarios. They all basically predict we're going to hit 1.5 degrees C by 2030 to 2040. 2 degrees C is much more uncertain, but the pathway we are on leads us to right here, and so we're looking at 2 degrees C by Um, mid-century. We are on a pathway that's going to take us to about three to four degrees C by the end of the century. And I will end with
4: that. Our final speaker here at the podium is the founder and lead researcher of high Performance Energy Resilient Communities, Hypercom. Alex, the road.
3: Yeah, so the road, like you're driving down the road. Okay, so we mentioned the word uh, Hypercom a few times here, and I wanted to uh, give you a little more insight into what the heck is that thing. Hypercom was uh, originally created as part of a doctoral research program, a PhD program that I'm pursuing with a university called the Royal Institute of Technology in Sweden based in Stockholm. There is a head of a division there named Ivo Martinak who used to serve on our uh, Sustainable Living Institute of Maui at UH Maui College on the steering committee. And through him I was able to connect and say, hey, why don't we bring your expertise from Sweden in uh, energy systems and uh, renewable energy and district energy systems and do some research here on Maui and uh, try to advance our understanding and and solutions that we can uh, use to address resiliency concerns here on the island. So, hence was created, the High Performance and Energy Resilient Communities Research Project and its adjoining working group. So the partnership for the doctoral research team is a partnership between Royal Institute of Technology in Sweden, or KTH, University of Hawaii Maui College, and Pacific Disaster Center, PDC. The doctoral research team uh, has me involved as the lead researcher. Ivo Martinac, who I just mentioned, is the primary academic advisor. We have another co-advisor named Genku Cayo, who has uh, expertise in community-scale energy systems and energy microgrids. Carlos Velasquez, who you heard uh, earlier this evening, is involved as our disaster sciences advisor. And Stuart Zinner, who is our energy advisor, former energy coordinator at UH Miami College. So this forms our research team, and it's gonna be about a three to four year research endeavor here to bring that to closure but the activities uh, we hope will go well beyond just the research component. Hence, the launching of the Maui Hypercom Working Group. We launched this meeting back in July of this year at UH Maui College. The themes we discussed, uh, we had expertise from PDC, from uh, KTH, Uh, some of the information you saw today was also covered at uh, this initial launch meeting, just to kind of bring everybody uh, on the same page. What is the terminology we're using about resiliency so that we understand what each other's saying, right, when we're having these discussions. And then we launched into some more focused conversations on how do we integrate the priorities of all sectors of society when we're thinking of energy resiliency, right? What's the perspective of the private sector, the public sector, civil society? How do you bring all those together to work as a team, MIMA, that's already in place? Maui Electric has their processes in place. We have our Maui Island Plan, General Plan, Community Plans. How do all these come together in an integrated way to address something like energy resiliency. And the uh, third uh, theme we covered was, what are some best practices and lessons learned from past events, right? So how can we look at what's happened in other communities and even in our own communities in the past and learn from uh, you know their mistakes, but also their solutions, right? So looking at examples like uh, Hurricane Maria's impacts in Puerto Rico, Hurricane Iniki, uh, 2018 Kauai Flood are some examples this is really an open door type of process. We want people who want to be involved to feel like they're welcome to be part of this effort. So, so far we have uh, Maui Electric, MEDB, County of Maui, UH, Maui Electric Company, High Regency Maui Resort and Spa, all coming with their various perspectives, right? Private, we talk about private sector, public sector, civil society, and helping to inform uh, the research that we're, we're involved in. Once we create a model that we think works here, hopefully we could have a... Hawaii Hypercom, or Molokai Hypercom, or Big Island Hypercom. So here's a, a, some of the activities we've been involved in. We did a tour of the Maui Electric Company, Ma'alaya Power Plant, it was fun, interesting, and informative. Uh, Carlos brought that up about you know its, it's location, and that's certainly uh, a concern, but also very informative to learn some of the measures that Miko is considering to help address the concerns of, for example, tsunami impacts. So moving on to one of our uh, more recent activities, the Maui County Fair Energy Resilience Survey. This was an effort where we uh, developed a survey for uh, the public to take at the county fair, which MEDV does every year, and they uh, stepped up and offered, hey, this year, let's do it on energy resilience. So we had draft questions that were developed by the research team, got sent out to the working group, and we got all kinds of feedback, uh, very useful feedback from the working group. Unfortunately, because at the county fair, we could only ask about four or five questions, but uh, th- that was a good start. We got those, those four or five questions, which, which were informative, and I'll share some of those results with you. We had uh, exactly 1, 1,111 participants, one of the first question was, how do you feel about the preparedness of our community to cope with extended multi-day power outages? And we see here that about 37% feel that we're somewhat prepared as a community to deal with such outages, 33% adequately, 17% are very optimistic that we're very well prepared, and not at all prepared, about 8%. Second question was, how do you feel that you're prepared as a, as a household to cope with extended multi-day power outages? And here we have extremely well prepared, about 10%, Adequately prepared 36%, somewhat prepared 23%. When you, there's a emergency event such as a natural disaster, hurricane, tsunami, earthquake, what's your primary source of information? Social media, radio and television is our top two, so if you can access those during those events. Then we have contact with family, so more of the immediate uh, neighborhood and community uh, getting word of mouth. county website is also a resource that folks go to. And are you aware of any existing programs and community efforts focused on increasing Maui Island's energy resilience in the face of natural disasters such as hurricanes, tsunamis, and earthquakes? Resounding no, for the most part, right? So that's where the community outreach and engagement component is, is so critical. So some of our the next steps here with HyperCom. We wanna to continue to engage with the Maui community at large. We're gonna be continuing to convene the HyperCom working group, continuing the research efforts, help to inform vulnerability assessments of some of the work that uh, PDC, that Carlos mentioned. How do we help inform the vulnerability assessments and risk analyses of Maui Island's energy infrastructure? We wanna contribute to Maui Island hazard mitigation planning efforts. MIMA is um, involved in those efforts and uh, Herman just mentioned uh, earlier to me that they're gonna be updating the hazard mitigation plan for Maui County uh, shortly. And assist in the development of best practices for optimizing Maui's energy resilience. The focus of the research is primarily looking at it from a impacts of natural disasters. We're not as focused on cybersecurity or missile attacks, but we're really trying to hone in on how do we address potential impacts of natural disasters on our energy infrastructure.
4: Okay, the question is. What are ways to cut down on CO2 and reduce our carbon footprint? I'm going to start with you.
5: So the uh, most effective way to reduce our personal carbon footprints is to have smaller families.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
5: like by several orders of magnitude over things like eating a more vegetable-based diet, flying less. I haven't been to the mainland in a couple of years. I used to go several times a year. Uh, multi-generational households, I've got my three children, a son-in-law, two grandkids, and occasional boyfriends and girlfriends. So sometimes we have 10 people living in our house. We have just put solar panels on our house, and the loan we got from Hawaii State Federal Credit Union is interest-free for two years, and the interest we pay every month is only a little bit more than the electrical bill we used to pay. And at the end of two years, I'll own those panels and it won't have been any skin off my back. It would have been just the same as paying my electric bill. Um, Next thing I'm gonna do is buy batteries. And that way I can charge my car at night from sunlight that my batteries collected during the day. And uh, decarbonize your diet, so eat local food as much as possible. Look at everything you buy and ask where did it come from. And if it came from Maui, you have permission to buy it. If it didn't, think twice. And then the last two things, I think, are vote, climate change, environmental preservation, ecosystem restoration and conservation. I didn't get a chance to go into the terrible things that are happening to our ecosystems globally and locally, but they're just horrible things. And then talk to people. Spread the word. Climate change is real. It's going to affect everything in our lives. So pass the word around. Even though we're in a state where everybody agrees that climate change is a big problem and all the politicians are on board, they are not moving with the urgency
6: we need.
4: How concerned are you about the CO2 contribution of the maritime industry? Globally, 3% may scale to 17% in the next decade. Um,
5: very, that industry as a group, though, have pledged to cut their emissions by 2050. I can't remember the exact number, but they're definitely aware of their problem. The airline industry is another one where there's lots of freight technology, R&D going on, but you know we won't have any immediate solutions to other of those industries in the next decade or two. The maritime industry, maybe more quickly, they could go under sail. They could probably, you know, at least partially. uh, And there are prototypes out there where, you know, Madsen could employ the wind more than it currently does. But it's a concern. They are a lifeline for us and that's another reason why we could be more resilient by eating our own food and making our own goods and services.
6: Uh, You know, in today's paper, the advertiser, uh, I saw that there was an article on the front page about the record number of storms that have come to Hawaii. And indeed, we've seen a dramatic increase in these uh, storms. You know, we always monitor the um, East Pacific. We see, you know, when the storms start to develop, and it's not until it hits the 140, the 140 longitude, that that's when we go into alert mode. And there's been many of those types of situations. The ones that the public we've noticed more of is the three storms, the three hurricanes that came through Hawaii this past year. But there have been many more, many others, and so this tells us that uh, something's going on. Storms, hurricanes rather, thrive on warm waters. And the thing that kills these uh, hurricanes are like uh, cooler waters and wind shear. And so we're seeing that you know because of the, the warmer waters, that's the reason why there's you know more storms, uh, more hurricanes that are developing. And so that tells us, you know, that something's going on in the world. With respect to what we can do as a an agency, you know, we continue to prepare our residents, and this includes our visitors as well. A quarter of our population right now is visitors, and so it's important that we, you know, th- that they're that they're ready. And then also we are focusing on, on hazard mitigation as well, things that we can do to to lessen the effects of hurricanes or other emergencies in our community. Mm-hmm. Will it ever be possible to use car and backup batteries
4: as an emergency source for the grid?
7: Yeah, we did have a, a program here that did look at electric vehicles and how they could be integrated to the grid. and That was the Jump Smart MAUI program, which brought on most of the uh, Nissan you saw that you see out in the community, DC fast charging, and then a number of uh, home units. And those were available to the utility then through that program and through new technology. For the utility to actually use that as a resource that was the purpose of the uh, demonstration project actually in in partnership with hitachi we were able to test the ability to
5: book a car up to a house and feed back in it requires an inverter that can trans you know can go back and forth most of the inverters sold today for or chargers sold today actually are just meant to transfer power from the the household to the car so you have to get a different type of charger that allows that two-way energy flow
4: Many places across the country have switched to electric mowers, weed eaters, leaf blowers, and chainsaws, with savings to mechanics, fuel, oil changes. Um, They have saved money. Hawaii is the ideal location for this technology. Can we see Maui embracing it soon? I see Fred nodding his head.
7: I love technology. so I I think uh, what really is uh, making those things work, which makes uh, your cell phone work, which makes... uh, Just about everything, all these things possible is is advancement in batteries. And that reduction, in the cost of that, the uh, longer performance. I used to have this, let's say, perfect irritation with my cell phone that the second time I charged it, I was completely disappointed, right? You know, it's like, oh my gosh, now it won't last for one day, you know? Turn off Facebook, it lasts a lot longer. Delete that, and you're going to be perfect. Um, but uh, the but you know it's really batteries. You know that's that's the thing driving behind it. And I'm sure people will get behind that. It makes perfect sense. Um, no need to have to pull 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 to start your mower. And yeah, just a quick addition to that, the impact that the landscaping
3: equipment has on human health, uh, whether it's noise pollution, breathing in fumes gasoline or diesel or oil spilling and contaminating the environment is, is tremendous. So moving to those technologies is certainly a step in the right direction. We still face the issue of what's the embodied energy in a battery and how do we dispose of it or recycle it adequately. I'll just mention our own experience. My wife and I have a farm up in Kula and we have intentionally tried to purchase, and did purchase, Uh, electric-powered equipment and have found limitations to it as well. So depending on whether you have a small, uh, you know, front yard with uh, some nice level grass, it can work well there. In a more challenging agricultural setting, you need some, and and the industry is starting to to meet those needs as well, but it's, you know, there's there's definitely a a curve there before the the, uh, technology can meet the need.
4: What stood out to you about the recent federal report on climate change? And what do we need to start addressing now?
5: I thought it was amusing that the Trump administration tried to bury it on the biggest shopping day of the year, but it ended up actually drawing more attention to it. It's also the most comprehensive assessment of climate change impacts in the U.S. ever. So it's a great encyclopedic resource for all things climate change. It's got a lot of technical information. One thing that I tried to write in the coastal chapter of the U.S. affiliated Pacific Islands was that our atoll uh, friends are facing an existential crisis, probably by mid century, but that got edited out. They wanted instead words like uh, that they were facing severe challenges and things like that. So, one thing that still exists out there is an underappreciation of the urgency and sort of poor messaging. The messaging that we really need to start decreasing our carbon emissions by 2030. Is so wrong. It, it you know it tells you that oh you've got a decade before you really have to start worrying about it. And the message really is we have to have a 50 percent, five zero percent decrease by 2030. But it's encyclopedic. It's got a great website where you can find things fast, and it's there for anybody to use uh, to bring to bear on whatever projects you're interested in moving forward on. All
0: right, folks. So I'll be on air, Gary. we are okay so we got there is our uh the the forum from last week uh from the cameron center um really amazing uh group of people there that were uh helping us but understand what's going on with climate change and how that's going to impact our community
1: yeah a small part of the forum right i mean it was literally i look back at it's more than more than well more than two hours um the message though is that that there are people that are uh, look looking into island resiliency um we've got a lot of of smart people out there but also be involved Uh, vote go to these events Uh, it's, it's really really there for all of us yeah, definitely,
0: and I, might, I mean, from my perspective, there was some hope there. Although there definitely was a uh, a message of urgency, right? You know, so we got to be. Uh, I think the 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 notion that we have a lot of time to deal with this issue is not really the case. There is that great website. Check out the Feds for that uh, climate report, and you'll be able to learn all about some of those details. So, hey, folks, this has and been the cor- sol- and of course the Maui News article. We have no choice. Ah, yeah, there it is, a Maui News. So this has been the Solar Coaster. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in. We are sponsored by Maui Solar Project, Tabuchi Electric America, Sonen, Pika. Uh, Energy and Sundrum Solar. It's been a great show. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in. Have a great Aloha Friday. Look,
1: look, uh, look forward to next week. We're going to do an entire future focus episode.
0: Ah, yeah, the future focus episode. All the orphans are our future focus section. <laughs> Take care, folks. Have a great weekend.